Coming up on the first episode of the Big Footy Podcast for 2015, and tonight it's all about the Essendon saga. We talk about the federal court ruling, we talk about player boycotts, we talk about weird things Martin Hardy may have said. All that and more, coming right up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our first uh, Big Footy podcast for the year. I am, of course, the Wookiee. With me tonight, a group of people Martin Hardy uh, refers to as part of the neoliberal governance regime. Uh, first off, of course, Messenger, who has I'm no doubt... I'm a Deacon doubt... graduate. <laughs> <laughs> and has no doubt worn out his copy of the Grand Final several times over. Uh, Malifus joins us, our resident uh, Big Footy legal expert, although we must stress uh, nothing he says here should be construed as legal advice. In any way, shape, or form. And, <laughs> and making up the numbers tonight, Shandog. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, so, welcome, guys. It's uh, been a while since we've done a podcast. Uh, obviously, New Year. Big things happening. Uh, what's your highlight for the week? Oh, I think Bruce Francis is my highlight. God <laughs> bless the old fella. He's he's the gift that keeps giving Bruce, and he's brought so much joy to so many lives this week. He has indeed. Uh, Malifus, you got a highlight for us? Oh, from a, obviously from a legal perspective, it's keeping an eye on the uh, on the uh, the herd full federal court challenge and having a bit of a read of the decision there, which is always fun. And uh, yeah, just uh, yeah, just having a bit of a look at that bad boy and sort of uh, seeing where uh, where James is going to go next, if anywhere. Shandle. I think it's a tie either between Martin Hardy's just insane ramblings on Twitter or uh, perhaps Kevin Bartlett getting smashed by Andy Marr on radio. That was pretty good as well. He got smashed by Andy Marr? Yeah. Yeah, um, They even tried to have a, uh, I I don't know what you call it, like a, you know, to stick with the legal theme, a bit of a cross-examination of what Andy Marr said about what he said and still failed. It was pretty impressive. He was talking about too much Carlton in the media and and, uh, they pretty much said to him, well... Where's your guys? What are they doing? And he had no answer for it. It was pretty impressive. Well, I, I mean, the, the, the general premise of there being too much Carlton in the media is is uh, pretty easy to uphold, frankly. Understandable, yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> there has been a bit. Well, but anyway, I think we're all... Everyone Carlton here? Uh, except Messenger, of course, oh. who is... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Look, this is the best I could pull at short notice tonight, all right? Yeah, I'm sorry I'm here. So, Messenger will be here, no doubt, to stick his foot into the blues like usual. Ah, pretty much. My highlight for the week, uh, people that um, post stuff on Bigfooty uh, and then realise later that it's probably stuff they'd be better off not posting. Uh, (laughs) And in particular, I'd like to um, shoot this arrow at Chris Case. Who is a favourite of mine, don't get me wrong. His work on Twitter for big, uh, that we copy for Big Footy has been fantastic throughout the court reporting uh, and, and his opinions and stuff like that have been great. But uh, he, made, he made a post and he had it deleted and Essendon folk uh, seized on this on Twitter. And <laughs> the hashtag AskChris spent, did the rounds all day yesterday and all day Sunday uh, where they were asking him uh, various questions as to uh, who uh, who killed JFK, who did this, who did that. It was uh, quite funny. How did I miss that? Did he did he put that out there as a ask Chris thing? No, he didn't put it out there. He made a he he made some allegations. Well, he says he knows something about someone that I don't really want to go into here. But uh, Essendon folks seized on it after it was deleted from Big Footy. Um, and they, someone screenshotted it, and the next thing you know, Twitter was just full of this Ask Chris stuff. Martin Hardy, of course, not a big fan of uh, Chris Case, uh, asked if they could ask somebody else. <laughs> <And> <laughs> the byplay between him and Richard Ings, though, has been fantastic uh, <laughs> as well. Not a fan of each other. <laughs> it's like something out of a movie. Oh, it is. It, it's it's great. The Twitter has never been more amusing for me at the moment than it than it is. Just Ings uh, Ings is blocked by Hardy apparently. <laughs> so there's there's this whole 
will someone tell Richard that I said this? And will someone tell Martin <laughs> I said this going on? It's, it's like that episode of The Simpsons where they won't, where like Homer won't talk to Lisa and Lisa's like, <laughs> won't talk to Homer. <laughs> An interesting state of affairs. You've got the former head of ASADA and a, uh, you know, a law lecturer at a prominent university basically trolling one another on Twitter. You know? <laughs> oh, it's, it's been fantastic. Twitter, I'll tell you if, you, if you're not on Twitter, follow uh, rings.au and Martin Hardy Uni. Uh, if you want some laughs, because they they just take digs at each other when they're not taking digs at Bruce Francis. Oh, Bruce. <laughs> Sorry. Good old Bruce. I think we killed Bomber Talk Bigfooty as well. Uh, the Bomber Talk forums went down. Uh, whether the admins there just took the site down or not, I don't know. Well, but... it's another notch in the belt of Bigfooty, frankly, and uh, we managed to get the uh, Asada board on uh, Bomber Blitz uh, hidden. And uh, which is a great shame because it was always great value to head over to Bomber Blitz and um, and uh, take a sip of the Kool Aid with, <laughs> with the other inmates. But um, I don't know, it's just just the way we roll, big footy. Yeah, De- Demon Land forums copped the hammering as well. From what I can tell, I think they had more traffic than they've had in a while. So uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, you just, yeah. You over there from Big Footy popping over. Unfortunately, uh, it won't result in memberships for him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Uh, yeah. Before we get stuck into the court decision and, and the uh, aftermath of that, there have been a few other things. Uh, just quickly, the Swans uh, have been allowed back into trading by the AFL. There are some stipulations on that. They can't trade for players uh, that are worth more than three hundred and fifty grand, I believe. Uh, $340,000. So uh, the AFL has... Uh, where is it? The AFL has softened the trading ban imposed on the Sydney Swans with the club allowed to recruit players at or below the current average wage of $340,000 in the 2015 trade period. So... Ba- so it's like super coach, but with real people. Yeah, they're back, they're back in, but they can't pull anyone really big. It's worth noting as well, the AFL has released some figures regarding player wages, and no one... No one in the league is currently being paid a million dollars for a season, which is the first time since uh, 1999, I think, from memory. Um, I haven't done the research into that, though. I haven't got the table in front of me. But, yeah, no one being paid a million. The average, uh, the highest people were being paid about 750 according to the AFL. Considering you've got the expansion clubs have still got the, uh, the expanded salary cap. Mm. And, uh, yeah, a few big movements recently as well. But, yeah, yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, it's surprising Tom Boyd isn't on that. Mm. Well, yeah, well, Buddy as well. Yeah. He's not making a million this year. He makes a million next year. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> he's making, he still makes his base his, his, uh, base salary. So he's, he's on about two fifty. Um, and then oh, he's... being on the second year of his first contract. That's mm. right. And then, because, uh, of course, a club traded him away after one year of being a number one pick. And then he's on a uh, million dollars, but I guess the Bulldogs, having paying eight hundred thousand of Ryan Griffin's salary this year, it's yeah. the same thing really to them, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, you know, they've got a million. They're paying a million dollars for this guy, whether they uh, give it to him or not. All right, the MCG, um, amongst other people, was uh, did some touring of Adelaide Oval over the summer to try and figure out what they've done to improve the game experience for people, um, and they have evidently decided that clubs will now home clubs will now control the lighting the out, uh, the exterior lighting at the MCG there were some shots today of how the ground would look uh, if Richmond did that I wasn't overly impressed to be honest not because it was Richmond just it didn't look all that good um, having whole sections of the stadium just swathed in black wasn't wasn't fantastic <laughs> but uh, they're going to mount multicolored lights around there are they and then well, they're already up, apparently. They're just, uh, like, they, they showed some shots of it being changed for, like, Australia games and things like that as well. So, yeah, it'll be like Adelaide Oval is now where the clubs, the home club, uh, gets a specific lighting setting for it for the exterior of the ground. I look forward to seeing brown LED lights. It, it should be interesting. It should be, and, and this goes along with uh, Etihad Stadium's change in its food policy. Uh, where you can now bring your own food to the stadium if you like, um, with no no real hassles. They haven't yet decided whether to uh, allow uh, like open takeaway food from outside the venue in. But yeah, interesting stuff going on there, and that's really the major news. Everything else is like 
people training their house down or people wearing hats or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you know, people going to... Who boot... wore a hat? Who wore a hat? Oh, no, I don't know. People going... Andrew, it was Andrew Walker again, wasn't it? I think that's... Oh, no, crazy. He's an inveterate hat wearer, that man. Yeah. So the the, um, the NAB challenge starts in three weeks. So Snuck up pretty quick, didn't it? Get 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 yourselves ready for that one. Well, I'll tell you what. After it, the tennis always makes me want the football to come on because I start to lose the will to live about the time that the tennis starts. <laughs> well, you've got and, the um, you've got the World I, Cup in the meantime, uh, Messenger. Uh, I just sort of look at how long it's going to go for as well. Yeah. I'll be riveted to Australia playing Afghanistan in Perth in about three weeks. <laughs> I think Adelaide games, get... It takes them a month to play the group games. Adelaide get Bangladesh and England, I think. So... Uh, Adelaide also get India and Pakistan, so they might be ground zero for the third nuclear war. I can tell you that the, the stadium is sold out already for India-Pakistan, has been for weeks, and every hotel on that side of the city hasn't had a room since about December for that game. Even all the high quality ones, even everyone hotels, and because uh, any hotel on North Terrace is about a hundred meters from the gate of Adelaide Oval, and even mine, mine's about one hundred and twenty meters from the front gate of Adelaide Oval. If you walk straight over, and just anyone on the north side of the city is absolutely full now. You cannot get a room, even for like people looking for rooms for Valentine's Day and stuff like that. It's not happening. I met a cabbie in July last year. I think it was. It was excited about this game. You'd be I didn't surprised. even know World Cup was on. You'd be surprised because uh, I, 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 I have need of taxis every now and then and a lot of the taxi drivers I've spoken to aren't really following the cricket but they are looking forward to this game in particular. So, World Cup's going to take a month uh, and then the NAB Challenge will kick off on February the 26th with Hawthorne and Collingwood uh, at Aurora Stadium and it's not often yeah. you'll see Collingwood in Tasmania. They're uh, selling memberships on that basis. Apparently, selling... I saw that. It's fantastic. Well, and, and we're the ones who sell memberships to Budrigars, apparently, but it's all right if Collingwood sell one-game membership packages. Give me strength. I suppose... I, look, I don't begrudge them trying to make money if they can. I, th- I think uh, in, in today's environment, you've got to try and make the most of your support where you can, and if it's... Is, is it, isn't a one-game membership just called a ticket? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends if they get a scarf or you know magnetic calendar. Or I don't know what they get these days. I am regularly, yeah, regularly told that that Collingwood is supporting the rest of the competition, so I can only uh, endorse this membership drive, I suppose. <laughs> I know Carlton. Uh, we play on the twenty seventh uh, at somewhere called Rushton Park, which must be in Perth somewhere. I assume Malifus. Yeah, down down Mandurah Way. I'll um I'll be. begins. Uh, I, I, if you're trying to promote the game in New South Wales and Queensland, I don't think Brisbane leave uh, Queensland either. Well, if you're trying to promote the game in New South Wales, wouldn't you have the Giants play on the road for three games? <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> They're terrible. 
They're not very good. Anyway. I know Gold Coast are playing GWS at Blacktown. Blacktown, yes. That, you, you'll be wanting to uh, get your tickets early for that. Uh, <laughs> Port play West Coast at Norwood, which is a bit of a bone of contention for Port people. Um, why, that, Alberton. why that game isn't at Alberton is beyond me. How that game is being played at Norwood which, uh, as Shandog will well know, is uh, the home of Port's Ark Enemy. Yeah, it's, it's like not Port. It, it, it'd be like Carlton playing pre-season games at Victoria Park. Yep. Right. It's, it's the same, or Hawthorne playing pre-season games at Cadinia Park. Or Windy Hill. <laughs> For the more modern rivalry people, you know, we yeah. don't want to leave you guys it's... out anymore, you know. Oh, yeah. now I get it. No, that's... <laughs> Hawthorne playing North Melbourne at Bell Reeve. Actually, we're playing North Melbourne at Shepparton. <laughs> I saw that. We're going to Shepparton. No Road trip. Essendon are playing St Kilda at Morwell, I think. Oh, no, that, <laughs> that's awful. I, I'm, I'm half a mind to take the trip up to Shepparton, actually. I had a bit, a bit of fun. I don't think anyone's ever said that before. <laughs> Come on. You know, you a get couple stopped. of Hawthorne supporters. Stop by the SPC for <laughs> Stop by the SPC <laughs> yeah. factory, get yourself uh, some wholesale fruit. Tin tinned apricots. I tell you, my family did that back in the day. We because my family were cheapskates, and so we went up there to get the factory knockoffs, like the dented cans and stuff that they had for sale. You did you like get the, the ones without labels? And then yeah, you yeah. Them it was and like find you bought four hundred cans of prunes. <laughs> it was like surprise <laughs> tins, you know. So that, that's fantastic. There's a lot of weirdly ass named. Uh, Stadiums and places I've never even heard of. Yes, <laughs> Colling- Collingwood playing Carlton at Queen Elizabeth Oval. I've heard yeah. of that before. Where is that? Bendigo. <laughs> so that's why I've heard of it before. Yeah, that that'd yeah. be that'd be an interesting game. If it was a Ballarat, I'd probably go. Well, that's uh, Melbourne and the Bulldogs. Bulldogs at their new spiritual home. Yes, <laughs> Ballarat. Yes. Previously, the spiritual home of North Melbourne, the Gypsies of the AFL. Yeah. What hasn't been the spiritual home of North Melbourne? Well, that's right. In I'd... fact, it's a shame we didn't have. It's a shame we didn't have um, our good friend Matt Adam on board tonight. Yes, he, he, he was promising to come on so he could spit venom at James Heard. But yeah, week two, most games are at uh, Etihad Stadium if you're in Melbourne. Uh, St Kilda, Hawthorne, Melbourne, Essendon. Uh, Gold Coast have got Brisbane at Metricon Stadium. Uh, Richmond North is at Etihad. Port Adelaide and Adelaide at Adelaide Oval. No, at Amy Stadium, apparently. So, go figure. And the Bulldogs have Collingwood there as well. So, And after that, it's pretty much just generic Etihad, Patterson Stadium stuff. Why there are pre-season games where they feature these showdowns and... Uh, Rivalry games is beyond me. Well, it's to stop them travelling in the last week before home and away. Oh, no, I know, I get that too, but still. But you know, that's all right. They they do it most years, and maybe they should be playing these preseason games against state league clubs or something. They treat them about the same level of seriousness, anyway. Yeah, if they treat them like that, what does it matter? Yeah. So look, let's move on to the main course for the evening. <laughs> as it were, and last Friday, to almost no one's surprise, unless you were either a lawyer for Essendon or a supporter for Essendon, uh, and even then, I don't think anyone was really surprised, because again, it's part of the neoliberal conspiracy that is uh, currently <laughs> going around, um, and where you know senior administrative tribunals, judges, uh, apparently ignore administrative law, um, but the federal, the full bench of the federal court unanimously ruled against uh, James Hurd's appeal utterly dismissed it on every count didn't didn't even give him like, any kind of hope that you know there wasn't a well we find that you know this 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 particular argument is dismissed but if they'd done it differently you know there wasn't even a but for them it was like no 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 see you later uh, the court decision took about three months to be reached and took eight minutes to be delivered so, yeah, Malefice, as our regular, as our uh, regular law-talking dude, what's uh, what's your opinion? Uh, well, yeah, it was it was over quite quickly, wasn't it? They didn't 
make your way till the end to let them know who, uh, who had won that bad boy. They um, delivered it pretty much straight away and went into the reasons for their decision. Look, they, yeah, they upheld. I mean, I've had a chance to have a quick read over the, uh, the actual decision itself, but I mean, more or less, they pretty much upheld everything that um, His Honour uh, Justice Middleton had, uh, had basically come up with um, in his decision. Mm. The, um, the only real variance that they had from there, which was, and this is pretty poor form actually by um, her legal team, they, they tried during the appeal to raise the issue in relation to whether the players' contracts with the AFL could in fact be read to abrogate their rights against self-incrimination. And this is something that the court quite rightly smacked them for doing. Um, the basic premise in relation to appeals is you can't deviate during the appeal from how you conducted your case at first instance, at the first trial. Mm. And I don't know if anyone remembers, but and they actually, I think they, well, they, they did. The full court cited the actual, from the actual transcript of the, uh, the initial court case when it was raised in relation to the contractual relationship. And his honour actually asked, um, you know, put it to the, the Herd's legal team at that point, do you dispute that the AFL can enter this kind of contractual relationship? And they, they quite clearly agreed to it. They said, no, no, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. And his honour, again, asked the same question immediately afterwards in, in different terms. So he said, this is, this is not in dispute. You do agree that, that they can abrogate, you know, their, they can, you know, wipe their right of the privilege against self-incrimination with the AFL. And again, they agreed. Now, what they tried to do during the appeal itself, heard legal team this is, is they tried to sort of sidestep that and perhaps raise that as an issue. And the court quite rightly smacked them down and said, well, you can't really do that. You, you can't change your story from, uh, from first instance to the appeal. It can't be done. Aside from that, yeah, they, they've more or less affirmed pretty much everything Justice Middleton had said, and, and they affirmed it quite, um, yeah, quite uh, comprehensively. I would be very shocked if there's anything in relation... I'd be, I'd be very shocked if, if James is going to take this to the High Court. And that there's practical reasons as well, and that even if he did choose this option and he was prepared to fork out another 100 or so grand just to get it in there. He would need to get special leave, which he wouldn't, he wouldn't get for a few months. And even if it went ahead, it wouldn't appear before. It would be months. We'd be talking at least six months before the High Court would hear it if they chose to, which I doubt they would. And by then, it's game over. It's all over Red Rover. Um, you know, the decision would have been handed down by the tribunal. So mm. I think from a practical point of view and also the fact that he's already lost probably close to a million dollars in costs so far of his and Asada's. I think sleeping dogs, you let sleeping dogs lie on this one at this point. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I sort of did some research not being a, a legal a legal type just to see how often uh, leave to appeal is granted and I just sort of went through the 2013 public findings and this is not a common thing. I mean, most people who apply for leave to appeal are not granted it. Is it's that not. correct? Yeah, it is. But look, effectively, and, and most applications to the High Court are knocked back, and most of the ones that do actually go ahead, you'll find that the court are very small. Obviously, the high, there's only one High Court, and they're, they're very limited. They're the final court of appeal for pretty much every jurisdiction in Australia. Plus, they're dealing with all the constitutional matters, you know, so they're, they're quite, quite bogged down with, you know, federal legislation, dealing with the powers of the minister and state stuff as well. So they'll only really latch on to anything if they have something to say on this matter. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll look at it and they'll go, you know, when you've got, if the law's diverging too much between the states or there's a serious constitutional matter or a very serious issue of law to be determined, then they'll probably look at it so purely so they can rule on it and sort of bring everyone back in the line. I mean, that's a very general and broad statement of what the High Court sort of, one of the things they look at. But, yeah, I mean, it's very rare for people to get in there and, and it's only with really, really important matters of law and I'm not persuaded this is going to be either of the two. Mm. I mean, effectively, if I understand James Hurd's legal team's argument, it's one of their central arguments was that it's unfair that the, the ASADA can rely upon the AFL's, you know, c compulsive questioning powers pursuant to contract law. And they're a bit upset that the contractual obligations sort, sort of seem to override the statutory you know, protection that the players have got under the Asada Act against self-incrimination. And I, I'm very reluctant to accept that myself. I mean, there's no... The, the position just at common law is that a, you can waive your privilege to self-incrimination. You know, you can, at any stage, you can incriminate yourself. There's absolutely nothing stopping you. If I can choose to incriminate myself, then I can surely choose to enter into a contract where I agree to do so in exchange for 
you know, whatever, in this case, you know, the, the privilege of playing in the AFL and the money and everything else it gets you. Furthermore, if you don't, the privilege against self-incrimination has to be invoked by the person who is relying upon it. So they actually have to sit there and say, you know, the old, you know, plead the fifth, you know, I'm not going to answer that question on the grounds that they incriminate me sort of thing. So you actually have to invoke the privilege generally to be able to rely upon it. Um, Which was made abundantly clear by both Middleton and the full bench. Yeah, and they, they didn't. They answered all questions that were put to them fully and frankly, as they said they would do before they entered into it. I mean, I don't know if you remember back now, it's a couple of years, but they were very clear that they intended to cooperate fully with the whole with, with the discussion. And, and if we look at the contracts, it's not like it, this is a surprise to the players either that they've abrogated that right. The, if you look at the, the, the full court, what they said is they actually refer to the various sections of the AFL player contracts where it says that, I hereby agree to, you know, answer all questions, give all evidence put to me, and that that evidence can then be used, and it goes on, in relation to anti-doping offences, and it, ASADA is mentioned by name in there. Mm. So it, it couldn't really be considered to be a surprise to them what they were choosing to do by entering into those contracts. And, so, they, were yeah, le- and sorry, they were legally represented at the in these hearings. I did read that from the summary that was sort of put in the press that part of the the dismissal was the fact that these players had legal representation at the time they were questioned. Yep. Yeah, indeed. And and that the, that was definitely raised. They had legal representation, and at no stage did they raise the privilege. And, and look, they could have raised the privilege, in, in my opinion, against ASADA, and then obviously the AFL would have either terminated their contract or would have taken remedies pursuant to the AFL player contract by, you know, terminating them or suspending them or, you know, whatever powers they've got under the contract to sanction them. So... You know, that probably ne- that necessarily well, wasn't really in dispute either at any point in the trial. You know, I said a few months back when I'm last, I was last on one of these things that I think I still think and I still maintain that there might be something in there. And I know I'm, now I'm running against a full court of the federal court, but the issue that I had was the arm's length conduct between the parties. And I, yeah, I, I don't think it's ever going to be enough to get up and there are a lot of reasons why it wouldn't get up but yeah i don't think it's going to be enough for the high court to look at it and you know the other flip side of the coin is i could be and it looks like i am completely wrong on that point so you know but um yeah look i think the more pressing issue now is where to in relation to the tribunal that's coming up on the 16th i mean that's going to be resolved soon and like i think we were saying before the i think even most diehard Essendon supporters are starting to come to terms with the fact that it's not looking to, uh, I mean, you know, the players can still get off, absolutely. Um, but it is looking more and more likely that, particularly some of the more recent leaks have to be believed, that um, they may very well get done. And it, it's, it's sort of more, I think a lot of people now are turning their minds to, this includes Essendon supporters, how long? Mm. My um, main question with all of this at the moment is, should Heard decide to go the next step and take it to the High Court? You've already talked about, Mel, said there's going to be a bit of a, a delay in that happening. And... and mm. I'm assuming it's going to be after a tribunal hands down a decision and something occurs there. Now, worst case scenario for Essendon supporters, if those players are banned, Heard decides to go to the high court. Um, What then can happen from there seems to me like only one of a couple of different scenarios where um, if Heard's appeal is, um, I don't know what the legal term for it is, if if Heard wins, um, is it not what's been said already where Asada will go, okay, that's fine. We'll just redo it all again. We'll dot the different I's and cross the different T's and do exactly what we've just done anyway. And it'll all happen again. Um, and if he doesn't win, uh, then it makes no difference whatsoever. Yeah, it would look, I mean, a lot of that would turn on what, the, if, if the high court were to find, I mean, if it were to get there, which I don't think it will. And, and if they were to find um, in favor of herd, which again, I don't think they will, that process would take, at, you know, six months minimum. We'd, we'd be looking at probably 12 months to a year before any of that happens. So, oh, sorry, 12 months to two years before a decision would be reached on the matter. And by then, the suspension would likely be over. So it, it's really not worth it. I mean, it seems pointless. It, it does. It, it, to me, you know, I just think practically speaking and also from a cost perspective, I mean, James has already spent his $1 million bonus he's got now, hasn't he? I mean, you know, the contract <laughs> extension. So he's, he's, he's throwing that money uh, against this. And, and to t- run it to the high court is, is going to be a substantially larger amount of money. Um, you know, he could, he could quite easily tack on another half a million on top of that pretty close. So It's quite I, philanthropic of him to um, to uh, spend it for the greater good of his team. Yeah. The pony industry is, uh, is, is 
having doing terrifically well with QCs buying uh, ponies <laughs> for their daughters and putting in new swimming pools. And it's he's a he's a real flore- flore- <laughs> he's a real giver of money to people. It, it <laughs> must be said, uh, Natalie Hickey from SocialLitigator.com, who's uh, been also very informative during uh, the whole court series. She uh, mentions that it's likely to be a case of, like, for every 10 appeals to the High Court, the High Court generally hears about three of them. Yep. Um, and for, it's, not un- it's not unheard of for the High Court to disagree with the ruling, like, even with the unanimous ruling of the full bench of the Federal Court. So, I mean, yep. there's hope. And there are, people, there are legal people out there that do believe that there is something to pursue here. Um, I do believe those are in the minority, though, at the moment. So yeah, I, I still have, and you know, again, I'll, I'll stipulate this. I mean, I, and I could well be wrong. I still think there's something in it, but I don't think it's much, to be completely honest. I mean, I don't think it'd be enough for the High Court to perhaps want to jump in and say something in relation to this, even if they had something to say. And I'll be very clear that you know, I'm, I'm probably in the minority there about this, about my arm's length, my feelings on the dealings between Asada and and, um, uh, and the AFL. Um, and but the other question is, when matters come before the High Court, and this is only anecdotal, I've never appeared in front of the High Court, and I hope to God that I never do. No, I'd love to, it'd be great. But um, <laughs> the, the, high, the High Court generally, I mean, they, they've, they've already heard, you, you've gone to them with your case to seek leave, and they've already heard it, and they've made a decision, okay, yeah, this is from public interest, or there's a very good reason why we should hear this. And what you'll find is, or, or what I've heard, is they, the, the, the justices of the High Court will generally have an opinion already before the actual trial itself as to which way they want to go because they know their ruling is going to steer the law for all of Australia in one way or the other. And it's, it's only a, quite a rare advocate that can persuade them to change their minds during the actual trial itself. I have heard it's been done before, but uh, this is all anecdotal, of course. But, um, yeah, so, look, they only really latch on to the big one, um, and I don't think this is going to be big enough for them to poke a stick at. I mean, there's not that much in there that really changes any rights that I can see. Um, you'll... The, the right to, to, ab, to abrogate one's privilege against self-incrimination, or correction, not the right, but the ability to do so has always existed in common law and has done forever. So I don't think they're going to, there's going to be enough of them to jump on it. But, yeah, I don't know. I could be wrong. But Martin Hardy fears for all of our futures. Or he said well, purple monkey dishwasher. I'm not sure his Twitter feed is very hard to understand. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where he's going with that. No, he, I, he, I, apparently our democracy is at stake. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's, I think he's trying to zero in on your ability to contract out of your common law rights or your statutory rights granted by Parliament. I, I, I sort of think that's where he's aiming that, uh, that arrow, but I'm not sure. But the whole problem is that wasn't introduced in the original in the original court hearing in the first place. Like Middleton, well, like Middleton yeah, didn't I'm have... I'm more than happy to concede. That's right. They, you know, the, the, it was directly put to them by, by Justice Middleton and they had absolutely no doubt in saying, well, no, of course they can contract it right away. I had to laugh because Hardy, in his interview with Tracy Holmes on Sunday, was complaining that the full bench basically parroted Middleton's judgment. Like they didn't, they didn't divert from it. They didn't disagree with it. That's what happens when you lose an appeal, Martin. Yeah, <laughs> like generally. if they fully agree with the entire judgment, they're going to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they do. Unless they've got anything else they want to expand on, or you know, add. And the only, the only real divergence they had was to mention was to wrap uh, her legal team on the knuckles for trying to, um, yeah, sort of argue the case differently at appeal than, than they approached it during at first instance. So that's about it, really. When I had a read of it, but, mm. yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll, and by yeah. the way, the other part of the unholy, the, the, the third corner of the unholy trinity is surely Tracy Holmes. Isn't it? Bruce Francis, Martin Hardy, and Tracy Holmes. I mean, with friends like that, who needs enemies, eh? Yeah. I, I, loved, I love that Bruce Francis post um, that got a bit of attention. And I'll be honest with you, I I barely read any of it. And I'll tell you why. It's a good reason. The He put a little preamble in there with a bunch of bullet points. <laughs> His right. first thing was... I got to the first one. <laughs> I know nothing about the law. Okay, I almost gave up right there, but I thought, I'll give him a chance. I'll go to the second one. I am unaware of what evidence Asada has presented to the tribunal <laughs> hearing. Right, well, we're done here, aren't we? And, <laughs> and the whole document was titled Asada's Case, or what I believe yeah. Asada's Case yeah. is. And, and he has 36 lever-arch folders of the shit. Oh, like, yeah. You know. I'm, oh, I can't wait to become a consultant one day. Apparently, you, you just... It's you, you can fair game for up. anyone. 
a lot of effort went into that. And if you actually go through the dot points, I had a read of it, and you go through the dot points, and um, I mean, there was a lot of effort went into that. And they were... Um, 47 pages worth, they'd want the to one. be. <laughs> yeah, and every... Yeah, there's, there's, you know, he states the evidence as he knows it, then goes away and then draws a, a, a whole series of pro-essence and inferences or whatever from, from whatever it was. It <laughs> yeah. And then, then links those inferences onto everything else. So, uh, yeah, well, look, you know, it, you know, he's put a lot of effort into it, so good on him. I don't doubt his effort. I, I doubt some other things. <laughs> I, I, I just have this picture of when Martin went to stay with him in Cooling Gatto. <laughs> I have a few- I have a feeling, don't you think that Martin was probably drinking milk straight out of the carton <laughs> in his onesie? <laughs> Didn't put the toilet seat down. Oh, no. Stuff like that. I have a Ron, Ron Burgundy image in my head now. Milk was a bad <laughs> choice, you know. Yeah. <laughs> now, Essendon players, guys, have uh, apparently threatened to boycott the NAB challenge. Um, this was... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. This is this is important. Please go on. No, no. no they've apparently threatened to boycott the NAB challenge if the AFL doesn't backdate anti-doping bans. Now, this was apparently also com- uh, this was published the other day and was apparently reaffirmed today. Uh, well, about an hour ago by in the Herald Sun, um, where the players are apparently refusing en masse to turn up, even if they haven't been charged uh, as some sort of protest because they, they, they want to guarantee that the, if there is any backdating done, that it will go back to when the infraction notices were issued in November. The question that needs, that needs to be asked here is, how can you boycott something you're suspended from participating in? Like, <laughs> the, bigger, the, the bigger question is, how can the AFL promise anything when the anti-doping tribunal is the one that does the sentencing? Yeah. yeah. And if, if the AFL does say anything on this, it makes the anti-doping tribunal process a farce in its entirety, and I, I just I can't see the league get doing that at the moment. I can't see the league turning around and saying, "Well, you know, stuff the anti-doping tribunal. We'll guarantee backdating, you know, free pony rides." Uh, please play in a practice match. Mind you, I note that Essendon are going to Morewell, and last time they took a tour out to the country, they you know they didn't exactly it's make fine, it there. Huh? So maybe there's no difference between boycotting and and quote unquote taking a flight to uh, to uh, Shepparton or wherever they went last time so already missed the game a couple of years ago that's right. <laughs> so apparently it was reconfirmed tonight now this uh, Mark Stevens that well known uh, Herald Sun journalist and well Channel 7 journalist and he's uh, saying today that there are talks between AFL Players Association and the AFL regarding the NAB challenge um, Essendon players involved in the saga don't want to play. Um, he has also said other things which I need to find. <laughs> all, all I'd say about this, or the first thing that comes to mind, is that my how far we've come from a couple of years ago, we are confident we've done nothing wrong. So now we are boycotting unless you guarantee us these bands are going to be such and well, such. Ba- like. Basically everything they've done, in terms of their drafting, in terms of their legal representation, it all says, "Look, we know we stuffed up. Now we're going to try and minimise the damage when we get, you know, when it, when the chips are down." So which, which nothing says mini- nothing yeah. says minimising damage like bringing James Guilt into your backline. Like what? Yeah, I totally agree there, Wolf. I mean, it, it, you look at what they've been doing as opposed to the message that's been getting spun out of the club, and, and the two just have never married up. You know, they, Absolutely, they, yeah. They've never up. So, yeah. I mean, I, even at even at the it, tribunal, you look at the from what little we've got from Patrick Keane, and I must say the 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 leaks that aren't coming from the tribunal, there aren't any. Like they've done really well to keep a lid on that. Yep. Um, but from what we get from Patrick Keane, I mean, they spent three days arguing about the admissibility of evidence. And yeah. It, it, and so it tells me that if it, you know, from all this, what we're getting is if they get off, it's going to be on a technicality, not on the fact that they yeah. didn't do anything wrong. The lawyer, the lawyer in me has to raise a hand here, but um, look, I both agree and disagree with, with that with that point. Like, uh, yeah, uh, you're always entitled to attack evidence. Like in of a criminal not. matter, if, if you can get the smoking gun out, you know, if if you can get it knocked on the head and then your client walks free, they're entitled to a presumption of innocence. So, so we do have that. Yeah, and and it's nothing suggestive. Well, not necessarily suggestive anyway. In a, in a case that's built purely upon attacking the evidence, 
but you do have a when you see a case it's just all about the evidence not about the actual you know the actual crime itself or the actual offense itself then that does lead you to believe that you know the the actual under underlying the evidentiary argument the actual legal argument itself may very well be well non-existent mm. um and yeah that's the rumors i've heard as well that pretty much the central part of the it appears to be a two-pronged defense that they're mounting um which is one is to knock the evidence on the head or at the very least have it rendered less reliable which is a very good tactic than to take in a circumstantial case because if they can knock just one of the chains of evidence out anywhere in relation to the the link from of, you know the tb4 from china all the way up to the consent forms in the in the player's arms or whatever if they can just knock one of those steps out um then the whole thing will fall over and for a good example of that you know, there's the, the recent high-profile Lloyd Rainey case over here in Western Australia, which is also a circumstantial case in a criminal matter. And, you know, there was a breaks in the chain in relation to that offence, and as a result, you know, he got off. Um, you know, and as he, you know, probably should have done, but circumstantial cases do need to be quite strong in order for them to be proved. On the, you know, but like I said, the flip side of it is, is that I'm... At no stage have we heard the Essendon legal team um, say they didn't do it, um, which is quite indicative, I think, of a few things. They've, they've been trying to knock the evidence off, and on the flip side of the coin, they've been trying to argue that TB4 shouldn't be banned, hmm. um, which is quite indicative that they at least have formed the opinion, their legal team have formed the opinion that it's quite likely TB4 is going to be found to have entered the players, um, and unless they can get some of the evidence knocked off. But if it is, the chain of causation can't be broken, and TB4 does go in, that it shouldn't be listed under the under the act um so yeah that's pretty pretty damning the other thing the other thing i just wanted to get from you the statements from alavi and shane chartered they weren't uh, apparently aren't signed they're not sworn statements Uh, what impact does that have on the evidence like it can still be used and everything can't it It just we're told it just has less weight yeah there's a lot of furfies flying flying around about that for example i recently just as as a personal example i recently appear in the magistrates court of western australia and in minor case matters, and also in many tribunals, they don't stick to the normal laws of evidence. Um, and, you know, for example, in the Residential Tenancies Act over here, you've got, uh, there's a passage that says, you know, in, in hearing a case under this, a magistrate shall not be bound by the rules of evidence and shall hear a matter in any way, shape or form, effectively, if they see fit. Look, the best evidence rule is, and you still try to get the best evidence. I mean, it, I, I'll still subpoena a witness and get them to come in to court so they can be cross-examined by the other party, which is, which is the right thing to do. But there's absolutely nothing stopping me from, from putting to a magistrate a letter from that person or uh, you know, a witness statement, a signed affidavit, anything I can get my hands on, really, any evidence I can put. The, 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 what it, all it does is it, it raises questions as to the reliability. And, you know, it's exactly the same rules in relation to the tribunal, basically. I mean, they can inform themselves in any manner that they see fit. Um, they've got, and I, and I don't think even Asada are going to step up and say, hey, look, they didn't, Charter didn't say this, Alavi didn't say this. They're just going to say, we have not had the opportunity to cross-examine them. There is some evidence in the public sphere, and you, you will notice how it was, um, uh, what's his name? Was it a lot? No, it was uh, Charters was coming out very, very loud and clear just prior to the hearing, saying that he'd basically been taken out of context and, and whatnot. That would be something that obviously Asada's lawyers would be pressing very, very heavily to the head of the tribunal saying, well, look, here we have, they'd probably introduce evidence in relation to media transcripts where he's saying, actually, I was taken out of context by Asada. So they're trying to cast as much doubt on that evidence as they can. Is it allowed in? The answer is yes. Well, subject to the head of the tribunal, they'll make a determination as to whether or not it's, it's they'll allow it in. Um, as to what weight they'll put on it, um, that's a different question. And that's, in my opinion, I mean, without being there, what um, Essendon's players, lawyers, have been arguing quite strongly. And any other evidence I've got, such as text messages, radio transcripts, that incredibly damning interview that uh, Dank gave a couple of years ago in relation where he more or less confessed to administering TB4 to all of the players before he was pulled up on it. And oh, then... no, he was led. He was led into that. That was unfair right. questioning. Well, that's exactly what they'll try and say, and that it was a mistake that he subsequently recanted, and they'll, they'll, they'll put that forward as well. So they're really going to try and weaken as much of the evidence as they can and hope to get some of it excluded. But I look, I highly doubt there is no way known. The courts will look at the, the probative value of the evidence as opposed to its, you know, and, and sort of contrast that with its, um, well, its shonkiness, more or less, for, any, for lack of a better word. 
if they've got signed interview statements conducted by a federal agency, and I think the Australian Federal Police may have been involved as well, getting presented to them by a SADA, they'll, they'll definitely take them into account. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So, look, I, I wouldn't worry about it too much. You'd rather have them in there um, would be the best evidence. That's the old best evidence rule. If you can get the person there in person where they can be questioned properly, then cross-examined by the other, other party and having a, a chance to try to perhaps dispel some of the, some of what they've said and then re-examined if necessary. That's, that's what you aim for, but you don't necessarily need it. So, yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I, I really hope the AFL Tribunal actually publish the reasons for their decision. When well, they, they get they've said they will, apparently. But yeah. just how much we get from it is another story. ASADA have to submit written closing submissions to the Tribunal by tomorrow. Okay. Um, players get till next Thursday to submit written closing submissions. The AFL get till uh, Friday, which is interesting given the AFL is not prosecuting this, the AFL is not defending this, um, but the AFL will still get to put their own submissions to the tribunal on Friday. Um, and then on the Tuesday, the uh, anti-doping tribunal will resume for its closing submissions. It is thought that the tribunal will adjourn to make its decision on the 18th, and then it's thought it'll take about three weeks to uh, process that. The deadline for Heard to appeal to the High Court is the 20th, um, so the timing for that is a little interesting. Um, mm. And then the NAB challenge, of course, begins on the 26th with the Asada saying that they won't backdate uh, that they won't support backdating if players play in the NAB challenge. Yeah, on so, that, I, I'm sure the worst case scenario was, I mean, I, I'm not presuming guilt here. Obviously, the players and the support personnel involved are entitled to the presumption of innocence. Um, so I'm not presuming any guilt here, but, but, but should the players be found guilty, and I, I was sort of mentioning this before, I'm, I'm, I'm already looking at this, the, the length of suspensions, and, and I've got a really bad feeling, if you're an Essendon supporter, that it may come closer to the two years than is currently being mooted. Mm. There is some talk of only a couple of weeks, but I, I am fairly confident that if it comes down to anything less than two years, I would not be surprised at all to see Asada appeal this directly to Cass within days. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a terrific cynic, and I, and I look at an organisation that managed to find Melbourne not guilty of tanking, yet find them for it anyway. And I yeah. expect that these guys could very well have this all done and dusted and run out on Anzac Day. Um, for... I, think, I think Messenger is a little different, though, when it involves external bodies that don't answer to the AFL specifically. The, the sure, fact, I, the I, fact I, that I, this can be I, appealed to Cass takes it out of the AFL's hands. Sure, but the the AFL the AFL tribunal ultimately set the, the penalty, do they not? Until it goes to Cass, yeah. Well, they set the initial penalty, don't they? Yeah. And for them, they've never seen a financial imperative. They're not willing to uh, obey. I, I'd 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 be staggered if they got two years. I reckon they could get six months, and and that would put them ready to play at the end of April. Well, it depends if it's back. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that's what should be the outcome. I'm suggesting that they will, that they'll find a way to get this to suit the AFL. They can try. It. But then, yeah. but don't, don't get me wrong, the AFL have got a vested financial interest in minimising the impact of this and, and wrapping it up as quickly as they can. Yeah. But the question they've got here is, I mean, ASADA have got a law under the, the NAD scheme and the AFL player rules uh, in between... ASADA and the AFL and the AFL Anti-Doping Code, ASADA have a final right to appeal, um, an overarching right to appeal. So any wet lettuce leaf sort of, even if it were to occur, and bearing in mind we do have an independent member currently hearing this, a former federal court judge, and he'll be publishing reasons for his decision, including reasons for the, um, the length of the suspension, I would not be shocked to see, to see ASADA exercise those powers in this case. And I'm, I'm quite worried about the two possible, it's a mandatory two-year sentence, and the only possible reductions can be from substantial assistance. You've got to come forward of your own accord, and you must be able to provide evidence that leads to someone else being done under the Act. So I don't think they're going to be necessarily be able to avail themselves of that, of that reduction in the sentence. And the second one is the no substantial fault or negligence. And the case law on that's pretty clear, and for a Players who are texting amongst themselves about FIMO injections, the recent rumours in relation to a player possibly rolling over and admitting that they did in fact know about it, um, 
and just recent and, and case law where, where players, the doctors have administered them with prohibited substances against the player's knowledge and that's not no substantial fault or negligence. The bar is set very, very, very high in relation to no substantial fault or negligence. And for a professional athlete to be knowingly engaged in an, a supplements, a, a black ops covert supplements program, cutting edge and perhaps more than a little dodgy, um, who is then injected with a prohibited substance, it's, in my opinion, going to be very hard for them to rely upon a no significant fault or negligence. There's, there's clearly a significant element of negligence there by subjecting yourself to that injection regime. Um, that's debatable, but I'm, the way I'm looking at it, and based upon the case law I've seen, I think the two years is probably more likely than not. But yeah, we'll, 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 we'll see you know, if it comes to that, if they get done, um, we'll see what the sentences are and we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. I do have a feeling the cows will appeal anything shorter than a two-year sentence, though. And that's where the main difference lies, I think, in the, the examples that you brought up, Messenger. They were internal AFL issues. I don't think there was any third party or overarching like um, legal scheme involved. And I think that's where the main difference is going to be in this. Well, they just can't get away with it, I don't think. Well, yeah. this, this would be my counterpoint to that. Cr the Cronulla players effectively served a band that ended up being about three matches or will serve a three match band. Now the time scales are different and, and there there's occurred a bit further back, but we never saw WADA come in because there's this assumption that WADA will come in and, and say, Oh no, we're going to go I'm come in over the top and, and ban you. They, why didn't they do it in the Cronulla situation? I'm not, I don't think, well, I don't know what WADA can't, can, uh, Asada can, well, but Asada, Asada didn't. I mean, they got they, they effectively got a three-game ban in a season they finished last in. They took yeah. a deal, though, Messenger. They did. Yeah, they Asada conceded that it had made a number of errors in relation to that, and and they they actually admitted a lot of fault. And there were some fairly substantial differences in the regime that was going on at Cronulla and the one that was going on at Essendon. Um, the one that was going on at Essendon was quite a bit more detailed substantial with what was going on and, and it went on for a longer period of time um, and Asada I mean the delays that we've seen so far I don't think can really be attributed to Asada in this matter that they, they have made some mistakes you know or there have been delays but I think a lot of those delays for example the debt getting the downs report to confirm that they dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's or whatnot was more in response to the inevitable and threatened legal challenge which eventuated from, uh, from Essendon. I, I mean, they wanted to make sure that they had, you know, their shit in one sock before they uh, before they progressed. I doubt so, there would have been anything on this scale in Australia before. No. Would there? And I, no, I, I, I want to stress this as well. It's not just four federal court judges who have approved the process at the moment. It's uh, it's easy to overlook Gary Downs' role uh, when he reviewed the investigation process and found it to be okay. We're talking about a guy who was the former head of the Administrative Affairs Tribunal. Um, he knows what he's talking about. Um, you're talking about Justice Middleton, who is a presidential member of the Administrative Affairs Tribunal. You, uh, yeah. Susan Kenny is the president of the Administrative Affairs Tribunal. These yeah. are three very senior people in administrative law in Australia, if not the three senior Administrative Affairs Tribunal people. One, one, one of them, at least one of them, actually wrote the book on administrative law, so as it stands. So, you know, we're looking at you know, some very, very, very learned individuals in relation to yeah, administrative law, which this basically felt directly within. I, I'm, yeah, I, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be shocked if, if there was, if, if they were found to be wrong by the High Court. But yeah, you never know if it goes there. And the guy, but, yeah. the guys overseeing the tribunal, uh, Jones, David Jones. He's a very, uh, he's a former county court judge, but he has a lot of senior experience in terms of uh, royal commissions and things like that. I believe as well. So, yeah. It's, um, and I think some of the differences in relation to Cronulla matter, just getting back to that, I think, the, I mean, there, I don't, there was no hearing, was there? The players effectively voluntarily accepted sanctions in sort of a negotiated deal. Well, some There's, of them took a deal. Some of them, actually, no one knows what's going on at the moment. Yeah, that, this is a bit different in that this is actually all being done according to a very, a, a very definitive process. And under the AFL and ASADA's agreement in their player rules in relation to this and the... the, the the anti-doping scheme, ASADA have got a guaranteed right of appeal should this go, go pear-shaped. And I, 
Big Bolthouse, you know, recently said, well, he was overseas. You know, a lot of players, you know, coaches over there in, in the English Premier League, I think it was, soccer coaches were tapping him on the shoulder going, you know, what's happening with that club over there? Yeah. You know, so um, it's, it's definitely raised the eyebrows of a few international sports. Um, and I think WADA will be monitoring it very closely. And it's not necessarily WADA coming over the top. It would be WADA, if less than two years, say if there is guilt and less than two years is imposed, WADA would want to have a very close look at it. And may very well be tapping Asada on the shoulder and saying, we want you to, uh, yeah, to, to push this up to Kaz. I think in a nutshell, I can say I'm leaning towards two-year suspensions and anything less than that. I, I would not be shocked to see Kaz, uh, sorry, Asada seeking an injunction to stop the players from playing um, for any period less and, uh, and an appeal to, um, to the Cavs. But that's just you know, that's a gut feeling that I've got and I've got nothing to back that up. Messi, might... you think that they're going to finish by Anzac Day, don't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shandog, what do you think? Oh, it's... I can't see anything but decent um, bans happening. I think if uh, some players have provided a bit more substantial assistance in there, some genuine stuff, there might be a couple of people get away with six months or so. Um, but I think everyone will get a minimum of a year. I, yeah, I, I think it'll come down to eight to 12 weeks, to be honest, from the start if, of the season. If the rumours of, of, of a player rolling over are true, um, that have been floating around, I think they'll definitely be able to avail themselves of the substantial assistance clause. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, I look. I put it, all I'll say is I wouldn't be entirely comfortable right now if I was one of those that are currently before the tribunal, players or support personnel. Okay. Just finally, uh, on this, the work cover elephant in the room that hasn't been heard from it or cited for some time. Uh, <laughs> heard the former <laughs> <laughs> the former league counsel for Work Cover Victoria or Work Safe Victoria, whatever they call themselves these days. That uh, was on the ticket with Tracy Holmes after Martin Hardy, um, where it should be noted he said he wasn't surprised in the least by the federal court's uh, uh, decision. But he also said that there have been three specific complaints made uh, to work cover concerning the AFL and its clubs, one specific to Essendon, one specific to other AFL clubs that aren't Essendon, (laughs) and one specific to the AFL itself. Uh, he expects that uh, within 28 days of um, the tribunal decision or there will be uh, a work cover investigation launched. It's hardly um, a surprising, is it, though, really? Something of this nature you'd expect not... I mean, it's hardly surprising that they're going to be looking into teams outside of Essendon and the AFL's governance and how they've handled everything themselves from a from an OHS um, sort of perspective because they'd be negligent in their own duties if they didn't. That's pretty much how I look at that. Couldn't expect otherwise. Yeah. So, given yeah. G- given that we know Martin Hardy is the person who lodged the complaint... Um, he, he <laughs> oh, was, was it? Yes, he's quite happily admitted that he lodged the complaint himself. I was going to mention it could be just someone completely unconnected to anything uh, formal, you know, departments or anything like that who's made the complaint. No, no, but Martin, that doesn't surprise Hardy. me at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's all, it's all, all fun and games, stuff going on. Uh, just Where can I complain about Martin Hardy? Yeah. Deacon Law School. Deacon Law <laughs> School. <laughs> Bring, bringing the university into disrepute. Um, oh. Mark, Mark Stevens just finishing off uh, playing VFL players would create insurance issues because apparently the AFL definitely wants Essendon to play now um, even if they have to top up with VFL players which would apparently create insurance issues and it would also mean that those missing would be outed as part of the 34 uh, players uh, which would end their anonymity I don't well, know so if they're enti- are they entitled to anonymity after they're found guilty well, if, if they're found guilty prior, um, if the game start before a decision's reached, though. But, I mean, hey, look at, you know, Ahmed Saad. I mean, there was... Uh, provisional suspension start at the, you know, the, under the, the Act. They, they start pretty much the instant you're entered on the Register of Findings, unless the Commissioner decides otherwise. So it can be quite hard to, you the know, conceal, yeah, who it actually is. I mean, you know, I've been mindful of saying unnamed support person, even though we're all pretty confident who that unnamed support person is. Yes. <laughs> I think a lot of, actually a lot of the media outlets have just been doing away with unnamed support person and just putting the individual's name in the, most, most of the records they put in there. But yeah, look, oh, yeah, I mean, it, it, they have to suspend, although they don't. I mean, the AFL Commission can come up and say they can play if they want to. They can, they can lift those suspensions, the interim suspensions pending a decision. 
Um, and I, they did, in fact, for two visit any AFL players, former players that are playing up in the Northern Territory, I think, let them play. So, yeah, I mean, that would have issues in relation to any backdating claims the players might want to try and raise those. But, yeah, anyway. Well, guys, that's about it for the Essendon saga tonight. Uh, most informative thanks, Malifus. Um, no worries. Much, much appreciated. Messenger? Yes. Sh- uh, Shandog, thank you very much for your oh. contributions here. Pleasure. I haven't got anything else on my agenda to discuss. Did you guys have anything you wanted to bring up before we sign off? Oh, look, it's a very important birthday this week, mm. and it would be remiss of me not to wish uh, that great campaigner for justice and just a flat-out <laughs> great campaigner, James Hurd, a very happy birthday. Um, hopefully the tan is still sticking from the injections and and there's some good erections coming your way. But, uh, and work birthday. doesn't get in his way. <laughs> yeah. That's it, yeah. 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 Essendon, Essendon supporters, don't forget to send him a card with some money in it. He's probably going to need it. Um, yes. <laughs> next few months, but anyway, yeah. That's <laughs> send your donations to Tullamarine. Um, so fascinating stuff. It's been a big week. Uh uh, two weeks from now, we'll hopefully get an end to the tribunal stuff, and three weeks after that, hopefully it will be all over. But let's face it, the way this is going, I, I suspect he'll try for the appeal, and we'll see where it goes from there. All I can say is 22 days from now, we have football, and that's all I really care about. Amen. So... Yeah, <laughs> yeah I had to watch the soccer the other day, just to... Uh... To get my uh, my football thrills. Good game, mate. Anyway, soccer. Who was? Yeah. Huh? Why don't you go go on the soccer podcasting? You well, love better soccer than so watching much. the bloody tennis, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, that is that is that is something least, I did make. At least it was the Australian Open, and, and we didn't have to stay up until two o'clock in the morning to watch Hewitt go down in five sets again. That's been I've been doing that for ten years. I'm over. I'm, I'm, done, I'm done with Leighton. I'm done with him. I've never bothered because I know. I know the result beforehand. So brave, Leighton, so brave. <laughs> there's uh, one last thing I did want to bring up very quickly. The, there's uh, some rumours going about of a nine-a-side competition to start up in 2016 uh, featuring uh, retired players and players not on AFL lists and, I believe, rectangular stadiums uh, to oh, be played cool. in the summer. Uh, basically, an Australian football version of the Big Bash. It's not related to the AFL. It's not an AFL program because um, it would be even more half-assed than this sounds. So... It must be on a smaller ground, yeah. yeah. Basically using rectangular stadiums because all the AFL grounds are used for cricket. And the uh, rectangular it, stadiums, of course, are playing the bloody A-League. So, uh, and, well... So yes. they're going to do it played at the old um, Melbourne Knights Stadium in Sunshine behind the warehouses. May as well. But apparently, <laughs> apparently trials were held in uh, mid-year last year at uh, the Rectangular Stadium in Melbourne, Amy Park. Um, so it'll not, be not interesting. Kerry, not Kerry Packer again, is it? No, well, no, I don't know. I think it's the same people that are promoting the Auckland Nines for the NRL. It sounds like the same. Um, it, it's which is again, I think kind of been usurped a little bit by the NRL but it's actually promoted by uh, people outside uh, the code's organising body so funny stuff coming up, I mean these guys don't forget guys like um, uh, Favola and that are still drawing relatively big crowds in country football so it, it might work it, it, uh, sure, why not I, I don't know if it would work on any lengthy basis but if they have a really short season mm-hmm. on cheerleaders and Whatever else the big bash offers these days, and they could just have flames appear <laughs> randomly <laughs> out of the ground at the players, or yeah, why not? Set Brisbane That'd make on fire. Brisbane, Some sort of Brisbane, gauntlet. Brisbane can bring that line in if they wanted to, and just release it at half time or something for good time. And you know, yeah, what? See, this is sounding better. Yeah. Gladiator version of it. Yeah. We get Robbie Warnock doing it. What do you reckon? <laughs> Sean Hampson will be out there soon. Sean Hampson, yeah. yeah. <laughs> James Gwilt. Um, <laughs> um, uh, our good friend from uh, Essendon, the dumb one. Oh, there's a few of them. <laughs> so who are you talking about the, now? A few one, the dumb one. Kyle Remus. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Vitamin C. Bacon, have a go. <laughs> a big, big shout out to our mate, the prosecutor, who uh, wanted to be here tonight and uh, couldn't make it. But um, I can tell you that he's not shocked by the proceedings as they stand at the moment. So he's just digging deep to donate to the um, James Heard Legal Fund. That's right. Also, a big shout out to Chief, who is raking in the money at the moment over the hot toffee board. How a Bruce Francis thread got to 200 pages is beyond me. I, I, seriously, we should. Chief is actually considering uh, renaming one of his children Bruce Francis because he's just been so <laughs> So please, he's, he's picked one and, and, and he said, but Daddy, I'm a girl. Why do I have to be called Bruce Francis? Shut up, Bruce, Bruce Francis. Bruce Peptides Francis. That's it. <laughs> Uh, anyway, on that note, I'm going to say goodnight to Messenger. Thanks for coming. Oh, good night. Good night to Maleficent. And again, stress that everything he said tonight is uh, purely based on his experience. Bears possibly no relevance to anything uh, in the real world and uh, should not be construed as legal advice. Thanks for coming. No worries, mate. <laughs> and uh, thanks, Shandog, for coming on. No worries. Thanks. Good night. And thanks to myself being an all-round good guy good guy who is uh, shocked to be here and uh, you take full responsibility for all of this I don't, I, 